Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. the games on film music don't get me wrong but when we announce ourselves it really feels like we needed the mortal kombat music to kick in there but no i'm afraid not this is games on film the podcast that celebrates video game movies and here we are we're at i guess for a podcast dealing with video game movies this is like a big one this is sort of the phantom menace of video game movies because it's been such a long time since a live action Mortal Kombat movie. But here we are. What's the name of the film, Rory? (laughs) (laughs) It's Mortal Kombat 2021. That's not the actual title, but just to differentiate between the beloved original film, which we covered uh, back on, I think, episode 22, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is episode 75, which I guess is something of a milestone, a minor milestone. So it's just as well that a big movie such as this, maybe the first big video game movie release of 2021. They should have retitled this film, though, shouldn't they? They should have, like, you know, how they've done with a few of these remakes and called it The Mortal Kombat or maybe Mortal Mortal Kombat. Mortal The Kombat. Mortal The Kombat? Mortal Kombat, comma. Maybe they could have finally spelled it with a C. They could have. Or could have called it My Mortal Kombat. I don't know. The options The options are endless. But uh, yeah, you know, um, there is the uh, upcoming Resident Evil movie, of course. We mentioned the last episode. But um, as I said, there's been such a long time since like there's been a live-action Mortal Kombat. And the, the original Mortal Kombat film is one of the... We've said the Holy Trinity... Not the trinity of bitches, like in Resident Evil, the final <laughs> chapter, but it's one of those, along with the Street Fighter movie and the Mario movie, the original Mortal Kombat movie is arguably the the, the most favoured of the three which appeared in the early 90s, or the mid to early 90s, isn't it? Yeah, and I think also, not just because of the length of time since the last two Mortal Kombat live-action films, but also just how the anticipation for a follow-up Mortal Kombat movie has taken a long time. It's been stuck in development hell for a long time. It's been a rocky road to get there. And it's had various different people attached to it in the process. And there was even talk of a follow-up third Mortal Kombat movie following on from the original two. Uh, But that got kind of stuck somewhere in the late 90s. I've definitely been aware of the hope being kept alive. I think I remember like 16 or years ago going through some internet forums. You remember those internet forums? They still exist, I suppose, but I don't really go there anymore. It's It's all Reddit now. It's all Reddit. (laughs) But, you know, there were like writers saying, I have written the sequel to Mortal Kombat 3. I think Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which uh, we will get to, of course. I think there was like a pre-credits scene filmed or, or just written down <laughs> not even in the script it's written down on the post-it note um heavily suggesting like the 
appearance of characters like Shinnok or Quan Chi, you know, um, for a third film. But uh, I think Mortal Kombat still is pop. I would say as not as, I'm not going to say as popular as it ever was because I think really it, it was everywhere in the '90s. But it's definitely in rude health, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the last game, Mortal Kombat 11, was that released a couple of years ago now? And I think we sort of talked about it in, in passing and how some of the extra skins were based on the actors from the original movies. Yeah. Um, and that was like a nice nod to the past and how uh, Mortal Kombat 11 and I guess the franchise as a whole has always acknowledged it's past. It's always played around with what's come before in a very knowing fashion. It's always been a very knowing franchise anyway. But in particular, I think the latest installment, Mortal Kombat 11, plays with that history very directly with alternate timelines and older and younger versions of characters interacting with each other, allowing them to bring back you know, specific fan favorites who, in whichever timeline after, you know, over 10 iterations of the franchise plus spin-offs have uh, sometimes died, sometimes been resurrected. I think as they say in this film, death is only a portal <laughs> because people come back again and again. That's the most sequel baity uh, sentence I've ever heard in a movie. Um, <laughs> so I guess at this point we'll say spoilers for Mortal Kombat 2021. The last game is Mortal Kombat 11. And I think based off the trailer for this film, I finally bit the bullet and downloaded Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, which has all the skins, all the fighters, all the missions, apart from the movie skins. <laughs> so I downloaded those as well so I could have an sort of elderly Christopher Lambert in tone as best he can as Lord Raiden. There was probably some back-end deal where it's just like, you cannot have that as part of the Ultimate Edition because Christopher Lambert still needs to make a little little lunch money, right? <laughs> it's funny, though, because Shang Tsung, um, played by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, he's a legend, and he was in Mortal Kombat 11 from the start, and then some DLC arrived with like an expanded story mode that's very much Shang Tsung focused and and so much of the joy comes from hearing his sort of golden larynx welcome traveler i am Shang Tsung and this is my island i bid you welcome to explore Hidden among the island's ruins are treasure, magic, and very special artifacts. Take what you want, within reason. So, Mortal Kombat 11 is really the third game since the franchise got sort of rebooted with Mortal Kombat 9. Now, I've not actually played those earlier two. So when you start Mortal Kombat 11, and I'll, I'll give mild spoilers from Mortal Kombat 11 because um, I've actually not got to the end of it myself. I'm not going to give you the nitty gritty what happens in its story mode. But you start Mortal Kombat 11, and like Raiden's kind of evil, and half the cast are zombies, and and you're like, okie dokie. <laughs> and I think I think this is something I find interesting about I guess video game narratives and stories and expectations versus the film because you know you couldn't get away with this sort of thing in a film where like at one point 
a character is resurrected and the character's relative is like, oh, you committed suicide. And the other character says, no, I didn't. Shao Kahn killed me. Quan Shi made it look like a suicide. And, you know, I've not been privy to any of this. And I'm like, sure, whatever. But I will say the performances of the CGI characters in the story mode are really good. And the voice acting is really good. And, you know, it doesn't matter to me that for some reason Scorpion and Sub-Zero are besties now in Mortal Kombat 11. And they both look human. I, I really, they, they don't bother to explain that whatsoever. But again, I just accept it. You know what I mean? They just There's the very smallest amount of exposition required for me to get into it. But the cutscenes in the story mode are so long. It's definitely not something you want to do on your lunch break because you'll start your lunch break you'll you'll get to play one minute of fighting and then see 30 minutes of like you know gunfights and all sorts of things which don't feel kind of what you're playing the game for that's definitely quite different to the origins of the franchise in the arcade where it was just like put your coin in fight each other and yeah you get all the backstory and things from the little attract mode isn't it called with arcades where it's just this is the the video reel that will play to entice people in so you'll get the backstory of the different characters and you'll get the overall plot and stuff but really it's just put the coin in have throw a few punches and rip someone's head off so having it pivot to very story heavy and very character driven in this installment kind of i suppose speaks to the nature of the film that we get today. It's important to realise that the first Mortal Kombat movie was created when there was barely any lore. I think it came out when Mortal Kombat 3 had come out and there was loads of characters even by then. But skip ahead to Mortal Kombat 11 and the release of this film. There's... I can't even count. There's like 30 characters in Mortal Kombat 11, including like Robocop, Rambo. <laughs> I've not played as a Joker. It feels just wrong to have like the fucking Joker in it. And I know the Neverrealm Studios have made these awesome Injustice games. So I understand. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I like steak and I like chocolate, but I don't steak in my chocolate. Oh, that's that's a perfect analogy as well. <laughs> but, you know, as we've already said, the spoilers of this film, and I think perhaps one criticism I've seen of this film, because it's been out for a couple of weeks now and I couldn't help myself. I did read a few reviews and things. A lot of some of the criticisms are laid down on the fact that there's no tournament in this film named after a tournament. But if you look at the games you know i don't know when the last time there's been a tournament in a mortal kombat game certainly mortal kombat 11 story mode is nothing to do with a tournament whatsoever that that's one of the sort of questions i had about this film in relation to the more modern version of the games because i think yes even by mortal kombat 3 you have Outworld taking over Earth Realm, and I guess the tournament structure has slightly been blown apart at that stage. And then, you know, on our Mortal Kombat Legend Scorpion's Revenge episode, we talked about the Defenders of the Realm TV series, where it was just, you know, all the characters jumping into fighter jets and <laughs> battling each other on 
laser I, war fields. I still haven't seen the episode where Scorpion is flying fighter jets with um, <laughs> skeletons being his wingmen. And, you know, again, this film could have benefited from that, but they made a different choice. I mean, yeah. if anything, this this film feels so much like uh, the live-action version of Mortal Kombat The Journey Begins, the direct-to-video uh, animation we talked about in our um, last Mortal Kombat episode. Because, yeah, they sort of... they do, There is going to be a tournament, apparently. I think, maybe. But the whole point of the film, Shang Tsung's major plot, is to make sure the tournament doesn't happen, I think. <laughs> You know, just going just briefly about other stuff I've been doing in Mortal Kombat this week. It's been my week off this week. I could have done anything with my time, but instead I decided to read two Mortal Kombat novelizations. Um, the first one was based on what well, was released at the same time as the film, but it's based on the video games. And cru- like I think crucially the first one, but there's like one or two characters who appear from Mortal Kombat 2. And, you know, it was a fun read. Um, but yet again, it was like, I not really any tournament. It was just kind of like an adventure with the characters. The first part of the book is following a character called the Great Kung Lao, who is very confusing to me because the character Kung Lao, who you see in this film and really play most of the games with, is like a longtime descendant. They just, all the kids call themselves Kung Lao, I believe. But he like dies, he's killed by Goro, and that's the first time Earth fails the tournament. Because um, most Mortal Kombat movies and the games, they, they sort of take place on the 10th tournament, don't they? It's like, because the 10th one is the one which um, will unlock the keys to Earth Realm. God, this is a convoluted story. <laughs> anyway, that was a lot of fun. Uh, my favourite bit was when uh, Baraka wants to make a, paint a painting of Shang Tsung's favourite pigeon with Sonya Blade's blood. Which, um... <laughs> is that, like, apropos of nothing? She's taken to, like, this torture chamber with a mural on the, on the wall depicting, sort of, Shang Tsung's, I don't know, history or whatever... But Shang Tsung does have a favorite pigeon, and he's it's a carrier pigeon, and he is beside himself when Sonya Blade kills the pigeon. <laughs> I mean, don't we all have a favorite pigeon? <sighs> I guess so. And then I did end up reading the novelization of the Paul W. Sanderson film, which um, was, again, a bit of fun that gave a bit of extra backstory to uh, Jax and Art Lean, who have brief appearances in that film. But I really just feel like they're spinning the wheels to get more of a page count in. Um, I think it just proved to me how difficult it is to write fighting scenes because the tournament starts so late in, in both these books or if, if if tournaments happen at all. And, you know, they're done in like a few paragraphs. So I was like, oh, we, we're really nearly end here. But um, that was fun. But I was oh, the reason I picked these books up is that I was looking for you know, if it was a novelization for this Mortal Kombat, because since we talked about the Resident Evil final chapter novelization last week, I thought, or last time, I thought maybe there'll be one for this film. There, there wasn't, but I did find a book released the last in the last couple of months called Mortal Kombat, A Fight to the Finish Recipes. So these are foods <laughs> inspired by your favorite Mortal Kombat. Is this officially licensed? 
very much not. In fact, I think it's <laughs> it's it's barely Mortal Kombat. All the pictures are obviously um, sort of stock footage of like lamb chops and things. And the introduction is described thus. It says, um, as interesting as it may sound, Mortal Kombat has been trending for years and it is one game that people have fallen deep in love with. And how exciting will it be to make a meal inspired by your favourite Mortal Kombat? Here are 30 fights to finish recipes that you can enjoy. And let's dive right in. And so as you can expect, they've got titles like Katana's Lamb Chops. <laughs> and says, uh, if you know Katana, then you know she's very good at the hand-to-hand combat. This is one meal that she'll love. And then it's just your standard lamb chop recipe. Was this written by a child? It's definitely, it's a man in Nebraska. I ended up, like, I downloaded the sample, and then I noticed in the chapters, the last chapter was the conclusion, and I thought, oh, f- f- damn it. And so I bought it, <laughs> and it describes that the, the author, Luke Sack, knew he wanted to be a chef from the tender age of eight while helping his grandmother cook for his large family. His grandmother had a huge impact on his life, so everything in his e-books is dedicated to her. She passed away shortly after he left for the culinary art school and has always held her valuable lessons in his work and in his heart. So I think you can see that when um, he does recipes like uh, Raiden mashed potatoes with cream. Um, (laughs) It says, potatoes are great and it isn't surprising that everybody loves them. This recipe is inspired by Raiden. Enjoy. Harry, I think you've been completely suckered. I think <laughs> this person has just got a bunch of recipes, slap the name of favourite beloved Mortal Kombat characters to it, and not given a moment's thought as to why they're connected. It's not even like Raiden Ramen. I think you're being unfair, because all for Katana turkey legs. There are a lot of Katana recipes in this. It says, Lou was Katana's man and gave Katana some delicious turkey legs. And if you love turkey, then you'll love this turkey recipe. <laughs> no, and, I don't you know, remember that in the movie or the games. So, so you know, out of 30, 30 recipes, and I went through these, I went through them all, out of 30 recipes... Like only about five or six of them actually have a Mortal Kombat character's name in the title. And then most of the descriptors don't even mention Mortal Kombat. Like occasionally it would be like, if you like playing Mortal Kombat, then you'll love eating this while playing Mortal Kombat. So um How much was this? It was two pounds seventy-five. So I haven't broken the bank. It's um <sighs> you know. I think that was a waste of money. <laughs> um I'll I'll cook some recipes and I'll let you know. Yeah, your mission now is to prepare a delicious Mortal Kombat meal. Exactly. We can enjoy it together when it's safe and possible to do so. Speaking about safe and possible, um, of course, this film was released not in cinemas. Uh, In this country, it's being released um, online. I was just trying to think of the word for what the internet is called. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you know, I'd usually be sleeping outside of the cinema in order to see the new Mortal Kombat movie, but I decided to sleep outside my house instead. Um, and I woke up bright and early, and uh, how much did this cost? About 15 or so quid? It got released on HBO Max Plus uh, in cinemas in the US, but I think probably quite a limited release. It will 
make its way to cinema screens in the UK once they reopen on 17th of May, but it's been made available now in home premiere format, which um, is good. I'm glad. It means we didn't have to hang around and wait for it uh, to come out. Um, And despite all the restrictions in place, it has done quite well. Uh, It was number one in the US box office, probably because there wasn't a huge amount of competition, but from a $55 million budget, it's already made $66 million. You don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's good or bad. You know, obviously it's made its money back. I think that's pretty good considering how things are going. It's not like Godzilla vs. Kong numbers, which did very well. I'm not sure what Mortal Kombat's release schedule has been like. I know it's been released in Asian territories and I think Australia, New Zealand uh, as well as places. So it's probably not going to make a huge amount more, but I think it will eventually do enough to um, potentially uh, warrant a sequel. But, it's probably um, cheaper than Godzilla vs. Kong, wasn't it, as well? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah yes <laughs> i mean the lizards in this were very small <laughs> they were indeed i mean bigger than your average lizard but smaller than your godzilla style lizard i don't know i mean crocodiles are pretty big maybe they just hung a crocodile up and then punched its heart out it looked more iguana like to me so it was maybe a very big iguana i've just got a flashback to the cgi sort of komodo dragons and skyfall and like all James Bond fans were like, oh no, not CGI. No, we want Daniel Craig to run on the tops of real reptiles like Roger yeah. Moore before him. Yeah, we just want to stamp on those reptiles. Oh dear. But yes. Well, speaking of killing reptiles. I'm, I'm interested to hear where this goes. Shall we talk about the new movie? I still... <laughs> I was like, that, I, that was not even a segue. <laughs> Speaking of killing reptiles, this entirely other thing. Um, yeah, there's the talk... killing. There's the killing of a reptile in that Kill... movie. Killing of a reptile. That sounds like an art house film. Um, yeah, let's do it. Let's do Mortal Kombat 2021. First learned about this seven years ago, on a mission in Brazil to capture a wanted fugitive. When we got there, it tore through our unit in seconds. The target had superhuman abilities. It had the same marking you do, Cole. It's a birthmark. What do you mean? He was born with it. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known. As Mortal Kombat. These are your champions. I'm Sonya. That's Kano. I'm Liu Kang. Name's Jax. Kung Lao. Lord Raiden. The fate of Earth is in our hands. Get over here! Finish them! Kano. 
You fucking beauty. So this film, in terms of its um, pedigree, I should say that it was produced by James Wan, who is the co-creator and original director of the first Saw movie in the Saw franchise, co-creator of Insidious, the Conjuring franchise, directed Fast and Furious 7, Aquaman. So he's one of the big names in Hollywood, even though he's um, uh, Malaysian-Australian, uh, I believe. Um, and this film was actually produced in Australia. The director, uh, Simon McQuaid. McQuaid? McQuaid? Anyway, uh, he's, um, this is his debut film as feature film director, but his background is in commercials. Well, yeah, I took a lot of his website because I got to the end of his film. And, like, first time director, why did he get Mortal Kombat? And if you go on his website, it's mostly adverts for things like Halo and Gears of War and creating video game trailers, cinematic trailers for video games. Mm-hmm. So on yeah. paper, he sounds like a good choice. <laughs> that sounds really condescending again as we always as we always say these people have made movies they've made something of themselves and i'm here stood in my sandals doing a podcast so you know and of course commercials is often a terrific proving ground for very important and particularly visually interesting directors like ridley scott like david fincher you see that happen quite a lot people sort of bubbling up from those backgrounds so he is like clearly a seasoned director in that field but we'll see how well he does in terms of putting a full-length narrative on screen yeah we'll see how well he does in this film we've already seen (laughs) (laughs) well um i have the synopsis here i've got it from the warnerbrothers.co.uk Mortal Kombat website page. I'll slightly just abbreviate it because it is a little bit press releasey. But it reads From New Line Cinema comes the explosive new cinematic adventure Mortal Kombat, inspired by the blockbuster video game franchise, which most recently enjoyed the most successful video game launch in its history, Mortal Kombat 11. In Mortal Kombat, MMA fighter Cole Young is unaware of his heritage or why Outworld's Emperor Shang Tsung has sent his best warrior, Sub-Zero, an otherworldly cryomancer, to hunt Cole down. Cryomancer? Yeah. i heard it. I like a good mancer. Cryomancer? <laughs> I mean, obviously one of the best books, one of my favourite books is Neuromancer. Um, what else can I think of? Puffinmancer, if you like work with puffins. I'm a chocolate mancer. <laughs> um, I'm going to just that keep saying nouns. Can, that suggests you can conjure chocolate rather than eat it. I can definitely conjure chocolate. Willy Wonka is a chocolate <laughs> mancer. He is a, well, he is a chocolate he mancer. The, he, does he make the chocolate or design the chocolate? He's really the Shang Tsung and then like the Oompa Loompas. They're the no, chocomancers. No. So let's get this right. Um, he'll be Shao Kahn, the emperor. And then Shang Tsung, I guess it'd be all of the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> what I'm saying, I want to see a Willy Wonka and a Chocolate Factory fighting game where you select all the children. They all have their special arcanas, their special powers. And eventually you need to drown Willy Wonka in his own chocolate. That is a game which programs itself. Charlie wins. 
<laughs> exactly. And you'd have grandpa. The stages would be like the Bucket's residence, the TV room, the sort of nightmare realm with the boat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's Gene. Gene, Gene Wilwood has passed away, hasn't he? Yep. Oh, then screw it all then. If I can't have him <laughs> ripping off Charlie Bucket's head, screaming about stealing fizzy lifting drink, I don't want to play it. I think we talk a lot about Willy Wonka on this podcast. <laughs> really? I can't remember. I think, so. I think we've mentioned Willy Wonka ideas quite often. <laughs> You're here to Willy Talk, the podcast where we talk about Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and to a lesser extent, Charlie and a Chocolate Factory of Tim Burton. The Wonkast. The Wonkast. <laughs> anyway, we're halfway through this uh, synopsis, aren't we? Or did we get to the end of it already? Not yet. No. Cryomancer. Continue. Fearing for his family's safety, Cole goes in search of Sonya Blade at the direction of Jax, a special forces major who bears the same strange dragon marking Cole was born with. Soon, he finds himself at the temple of Lord Raiden, an elder god and the protector of Earthrealm who grants sanctuary to those who bear the mark. Here, Cole trains with experienced warriors Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and rogue mercenary Kano, as he prepares to stand with Earth's greatest champions against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. But will Cole be pushed hard enough to unlock his arcana, the immense power from within his soul, in time to save not only his family, but to stop Outworld once and for all? Now, I'm sure you've got many questions, not being sort of caught up with the games. I think the most predominant one is probably, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, I think it's important to note, I think this Arcana thing, which is introduced in this film, is I don't is completely created for this film. I guess it's just the film's way of giving some of our characters their special powers. Although it does seem a bit weird how like Jax's metal arms and like Kano's laser eye are like also mythical powers that they sort of unlock within themselves. Why not, like, two eyes as well? Yeah, like, Cole, when he unlocks his arcana, finally it just gives him this, like, gold armour body plating. Like an invis- invincible wetsuit. Yeah, I. it looks ugly. It's horrid. I don't like it. <laughs> well, I, to be fair, I actually quite enjoyed that that costume because it reminded me of his um he has like yellow hand bindings at the start of the film so it's an extension of that but yeah it did seem to me how it seems like a lot of mortal kombat is around breaking rules i think even more yeah just like in um mortal kombat annihilation which we'll do in another episode it's like this a lot of this sort of plot with the villains is like shang Tsung doing a team meeting with like milana and cabal and all these evil characters Melina. I was like thinking of Melana Trump. <laughs> Melania. <laughs> Melania. <laughs> oh dear. Um, you have these team meetings where Shang Tsung is being told by all his minions, you're breaking the rules. No one must find out we bre- we're breaking these rules. And Shang Tsung's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he says we didn't win nine tournaments before by following the rules. And it's just like... Like Ooh. at what what point are you gonna stop cheating? I, I think the whole <laughs> the the whole thing about the, the tournament or lack thereof in this film is just uh is pretty garbled. And I understand 
like the reason for introducing certain elements and not having certain elements. So this Arcana thing and the birthmarks, it gives a nice way, a nice shorthand to have the different heroes invited to participate in the tournament. It's it's a good shorthand in, in that respect. And yeah, the mechanics of it are questionable, but this whole unlocking the Arcana kind of explains why some of the characters can throw fireballs and stuff like that, which wasn't really in the first Mortal Kombat movie. In Annihilation, we do get into animality and spirit animal and all that kind of stuff. But here it gives a yeah a way to make it so real life humans can do superhuman stuff without it being everyone's bitten by a radioactive spider or you know <laughs> oh no my my tub of radioactive spiders is open <laughs> they're, they're everywhere ow ow <laughs> Earth's mightiest heroes it's just like well I've got ten spider people <laughs> your inner power comes from your arcana. A gift from the marking of the dragon. The point of your training is for you to unlock that power. Without it, defeating our world will be impossible. Tong Lao and I have discovered our Kana. In the fight pit, we will discover yours. You may enter. <laughs> Let's do the damn thing. I hope I get fireballs. There is no guarantee. So, look, instead of fireballs, what else can I shoot out of my hands? Like knives or guns? Hey, do you ever shut up? You're welcome to stay with us, Miss Blade. But the training area is for the chosen ones only. <laughs> Fucking whoops. Oh, hang on. We wouldn't be here without her. She's one of us. A fighter without a marking can never achieve the arcana. And a fighter without an arcana is a liability to the others. Yeah, liability. Um, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. That is cards with a K. Okay. Side note, when I actually bought this film and it said order completed, I was really disappointed it said completed with a C. But I digress. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a, what's it called? I'm a sure widget or something. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, a widget. Plug-in. A plug-in you can put into your browser, which instantly turns every C into a K. That would be great. And hopefully all Ks into Cs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, so cards on the table, I think how I feel about this film can sort of be best summed up by what they did to the Mortal Kombat theme, because like a few weeks ago, they released a updated or a remix of, um, the Mortal Kombat theme. Is it called like Techno Syndrome? Yes. And it's a, it's fine. (laughs) It's a obviously modernized version of a of a classic theme but one might also argue they've they've added a bit too much to that classic theme and i can just hear when you're talking about this that it has become a little bit messy hasn't it and yes it's you know obviously you've got all this extra lore to deal with and as i said i don't really mind that it's not about the tournament or they're, they're teeing up a tournament i guess in the next film but you are sort of, if you don't know anything about Mortal Kombat, I'd be really interested to know what somebody who's never heard of Mortal Kombat thinks of this film. Because like you said, we are taken to Outworld. And like this Outworld, it's either like a color-corrected quarry or it's like a big blue screen background. And you've got like, 
I feel like nothing's been learned from Mortal Kombat Annihilation, <laughs> you know, where a whole group of characters show up, they all say their names, and then they talk a bit about how they are trying to pull the wall over the eyes of the Elder Gods. And Shang Tsung is like, let me worry about the Elder Gods. But an audience member is like, the Elder Who's? Are you... Like, are you the big bag? It's just so funny how you see films like Star Wars, which, which just drop you into it. And they mention things like Emperors and Galactic Senates and Clone Wars. And that all seems like tantalizing. And, you know, you could argue whether or not they should have bothered to make a whole Clone Wars series or something. But, you know, it doesn't feel confusing. But here it just felt, even as a fan, like, what <laughs> is going on? I think I've seen in some reviews people liking it to trying to make a violent version of the Avengers or, you know, and I think part of it is just like I was watching this film thinking, why does every film have to be like this now? And mm. I just get that sort of like it's going for a sort of superhero movie vibe in certain respects. And, you know, having an audience surrogate character in Cole Young is is a way to make that happen and i don't necessarily disagree with that logic or you know how the character is presented i don't have issues with that but i sort of think like this film just gets kind of like swept up in itself very easily and finds it very hard to like unstick itself from that kind of like mess it's whipped up and i think the problem is the fact that they were trying to distance themselves from the original and not do a retread and not do a tournament. And I think that's very commendable and I think that's very admirable. And I like that they tried to do that. And as you say, recent games have strayed away from having that rigid structure. And so, you know, they've released themselves from restrictions of having this person fights this person and then they progress and that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure, rules will be broken because that happens in every iteration, but at least you have that format. But the problem is, is that what they've replaced that with is just like this big mishmash of like muddy motivations and people having to be in certain places and do certain things and it just not really gelling. And, you know, we know the Street Fighter film didn't really have any street fighting, but, you know, for all of its myriad flaws, at least it had something uh here it's just they're all prepping for a tournament which doesn't happen even like we barely know what it is i know there's like this exposition dump scene where sonia blake shows um cole her wall of of how she's learned the history of mortal Kombat. but again we don't i feel like we're not really given a good understanding of what it's really for or about yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm getting a little bit confused because I know this franchise so well. I mean, for, when it's all said and done, this whole week where I've been reading the novels, playing the games, I rewatched the films uh, recently. You know, I love these characters. You know, they're part of my upbringing. Um, but even watching this film, I was like, "Why? What is this tournament for? What's it about? Okay, we like. Who cares?" I think I think it doesn't help really at all. Like both the sort of like motivations and movements and intentions of, I guess, like the two major leaders of Earthrealm and Outworld in Shang Tsung and, and Raiden. And I just think like Shang Tsung, it's like, you know, if they win the 10th tournament, then, you know, they have the keys to Earthrealm and he just gets ahead of himself. He just can't wait. They basically just have to win one thing, but because he's got this prophecy 
in his mind. Um, he's just so afraid of losing it that he, you know, decides to send Sub-Zero off to, like, wipe out Earth's, like, champions. So when it comes to the tournament, I guess they just get disqualified because they don't have any living fighters left. Um, <laughs> it's it's just very weird. Imagine if he did that with Eurovision. <laughs> and, like, I'm going to kill off all the singers. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's just all these moments where Shang Tsung and his minions just, like, show up at the Temple of Raiden and they sort of like butt heads a little bit and Raiden puts up a force field and then they're like, oh, okay, bye then. And it's just all these little sort of like pointless cul-de-sacs of story. It's just like, it's like the characters do something. It doesn't work and nothing is learned. Nothing is gained. There's not really anything interesting that happens in this moment. So just yeah. lop, lop it out the story. I, I saw there was this tweet going round where there was this fanboy complaining when they found out that the Mortal Kombat film running time was going to be an hour and 50 minutes. It was saying like, oh no, it should be four hours because they've got so many <laughs> characters and how are we going to possibly understand all the backstory? Because he clearly just watched Justice League and finally mm. we have an hour of time with Cyborg or whatever. I don't know. I haven't seen either version of it. So I, you know, but it was just like the fact that films now have to be four hours and for fans to get everything they want from the characters because he fear because he you know they fear that oh but people are going to watch this and not understand what's going on it's just like people have made movies where everyone understands what's going on with multiple characters for a century now um <laughs> they they can do it with mortal Kombat. they just have to have a good script and they just have to have solid editing and good direction and understand what's happening with the characters and the flow of the story I don't think this film does that, but I don't think it also needs another two hours to do that. <laughs> I, I I think it needs less time, if anything, and just yeah, you know, I think I adjustments think to the character backstories and you know just slimline it. I feel that modern cinema and I guess modern prestige television has really lost the art of telling a lot of just a little like there's a bit where Sonia Blade talks about something which happened to her in training and all these sort of like staring into the middle distance where you just say don't show what made them who they were yeah there's that bit where where Sonia Blade gives a little bit of backstory during downtime Liu Kang gives a bit of backstory downtime I didn't write any notes in those bits because it was just like don't need it <laughs> just <laughs> i don't care and sure part of it's because i've seen sonia blade and luke Kang in video games and movies and tv shows etc already so i don't need to know them again but those moments don't really add anything or do anything it's just like a little breather before the next fight it also doesn't help i guess um and we'll try and we'll, we'll, we'll lighten the mood sh shortly i hope but um <laughs> it doesn't help but i felt that all these actors were kind of uniformly crap well i'll say that here's the thing i'll start i won't start again but here's what i mean the best stuff is clearly with sub-zero and scorpion and the first seven minutes of this film were like released online which is obviously because it was like the best stuff <laughs> um the opening is interestingly the live action version of what we saw in Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge, where the uh, Lin Kuei kill um, Hanzo and his uh, wife and child. Mm -hmm. And 
I know Joe Taslim plays Sub-Zero. I thought he was very sinister uh, when you could see his face. And the uh, actor playing uh, actor playing Scorpion, what's that guy's name again? Hiroyuki Sanada. And he's a bit of a legend. I've seen him in loads of stuff. Yeah, I guess I first saw him in Ringu and oh my god yeah the twilight samurai and basically he's just appears in basically any hollywood movie that needs a japanese actor so he said like the last samurai sunshine speed racer 47 ronin avengers he's probably played characters called hanzo so many times as well (laughs) we get sub-zero and scorpion this is their, their legendary sort of animosity we don't know why they hate each other maybe like they just owe each other 50 quid or something. I don't know. Like, I, mean, I yeah, want my like, money back. Hanzo knows who's responsible because he shouts Bihan, which mm. is Sub-Zero's actual name. So yeah. the way the story progresses is that we're meant to be on the side of Scorpion because his family has been killed. But we don't know what dirt Scorpion did to the Lin Kuei. He, he goes and... to hell, quite clearly. He goes to hell, not heaven. So... Maybe he was. I think that like... was probably just what he did in the last kind of five minutes where he stabs oh, yeah. everyone in the head. Yeah, he's doing quite well until that last five minutes. It's just like, whoop, the hell points have tipped over the scale. It's just, just a sidebar for a moment. So we call Bihan. We next see him in the modern day, and Shang Tsung is shouting at the top of his lungs, The prophecy is almost at hand. This means we can lose. At the end of the scene, like the button is, I am no longer Bihan, Shang Tsung. I am Sub-Zero. And I'm just thinking, since when? Did Shang Tsung know this? Has he just decided to call himself Sub-Zero? It's like that weird introduction-y thing. I think it's a Mr. Burns Homer Simpson scenario. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I've been Sub-Zero for centuries. <laughs> Please oh. call me Sub-Zero. For the last, yeah, it should have not been, I am no longer Bihan. It should have been, for the last time, <laughs> I am Sub-Zero. I've told HR, they've updated yes. my email address. They know I like to be known as Sub-Zero now. The prophecy is upon us, which means we could lose the 10th tournament. There is no prophecy. Hanzo is a ghost. I killed him centuries ago. Winning Mortal Kombat cannot be left to chance. There will be no tournament because... There'll be no opposition left to fight. We will already be victorious. Go now and kill Earthrealm's champions. Bihan. I am no longer Bihan. I am Sub-Zero. So we then spend like the majority of this movie with like a collection of really eh characters. It's sort of really when I mean we I don't want to compare this to the original Mortal Kombat too much, but and maybe it's nostalgia talking, but the cast and that they they had spunk. They you kind of want you liked hanging out with them. They were like they each had a bit of of humor to them as well. I think it's very interesting how Kano in this film is like the one comedy character and boy does he like never stop (laughs) in this film um but like no one else gets to have a really much humor and so we 
spend the whole film in basically a training montage. And, you know, there's a reason why montages exist in films. It's because the training stuff is usually boring. And then right at the end, Scorpion and Sub-Zero show up to have their fight. And, you know, us as Mortal Kombat fans go, yay, ooh, finally we get to even fight. But then your your protagonist gets completely sidelined. And so, you know, for, for Cole, Sub-Zero is just another henchman. I mean, I know at that point in the film, Sub-Zero has frozen his like wife and child for some reason keeping them alive. Yeah, Sub-Zero has a problem with finishing him <laughs> slash her. Like, yeah, it's like two at the start of occasions. The, at the start of the film, he doesn't manage to kill all of the bloodline that he's trying to stop uh, because uh, Hanzo's baby daughter has been hidden away by his wife uh, just before mm-hmm. everyone gets massacred. Then when Sub-Zero um, takes out Jax by um, freezing his arms off um, and pushing him down a hole in an abandoned building. Yeah, he hits hard, but Jax comes back and he's not in exactly the best condition, but he's still alive later. And then, yeah, it's just like, okay, you froze Hanzo's family to death. Why can't you froze, freeze Cole's family to death? No, I'll just kind of like keep them slightly frosty. <laughs> His point is to enrage Cole. So why not kill them? But, you know, as I, as I was saying... Apart from this small detail, like Cole and Sub-Zero don't know each other. And, you know, although it's kind of positioned as a mystery in all in all the sort of press stuff, it quickly becomes obvious that Cole is it's from the bloodline of Scorpion. And that's kind of like the way Scorpion appears at the end is because Raiden has handed Cole the, the blade, the legendary blade that is Hanzo's, the... the a uh, thing he used to dispatch so many baddies with at the start of the film. Was it a legendary blade? But that's what I love about it, is that it's a trowel. <laughs> like now it I is. know I now I know that the Kunai, as it's known, was originally used as a gardening tool and a masonry tool, and then was adopted by Ninja for the purpose of, you know, dispatching people, etc. And it has like a storied history in popular culture and, of course, the Mortal Kombat games, and that's what's inspired from it. But it just rams it home when it's used by Hanzo's wife at the start that she's just digging up some vegetables. And it just means that every time you see this, like, blade in the film, I'm just, all I'm thinking about is just like, oh, you know, you could get that down home base if you <laughs> if you want. It was his favourite trowel. It was. It was a it good was an trowel. anniversary present. <laughs> but yeah, I guess, just with dancing around this issue... If you're if your main character, ostensibly your protagonist, um, plays sort of second fiddle kind of at the end, because you know, if though he's fighting Sub Zero with Scorpion at the end, there you care because Scorpion's there. You know, it just makes him seem a kind of a fifth wheel in his own story. But at the same time, like the whole Scorpion Sub Zero rivalry is like front loaded at the top. And then we get lots of film. Yeah. And then it's like at the end and we get reference to obviously this like Hanzo Hasashi bloodline is like so super duper important, but we don't really see like why I know there's this prophecy, like, like the Hanzo Hasashi bloodline will be the one I guess to stop Outworld from taking over. 
But in the end, they still need the ghost of Hanzo Hazashi to stop it. And because we never get to the tournament, we don't know actually how they've succeeded or not. Like, you know, Raiden says, oh, we've been victorious today. And Shang Tsung's like, when I come back, it won't be with fighters, it'll be armies. They're just like, is the tournament still happening? <laughs> yeah, there's a, you can't fight a tournament of an army. Raid wants them to go assemble a new batch of heroes, but like, do they need to get birthmarks now? What's the invitation policy? Oh, the birthmark thing, you know, there's a part of me which likes it because it's sort of Highlandery. Because you either get born of it or you kill somebody and then get their power. But like, you know, it does seem a bit nebulous. Like you could poison somebody and then I guess you become the the next champion to fight in earth realms battle but you know i don't i I can i can hear myself being very very nitpicky because um you know yeah but that's what happens with the kano character is that he's sort of like he got his dragon marking through just slitting someone's throat in a you know rather i guess backstabby ish kind of way and it was like the bit when um sonya who doesn't have uh, a dragon mark but her um special forces partner Jats does when Sonya meets Jats again who has survived his encounter with Sub-Zero and has been taken to Raiden's temple where everyone is training it's like oh he doesn't have his arms anymore maybe he's not going to be able to fight in the championship Sonya won't you just like kill Jats <laughs> right now like he's just I lying know, she's there just waiting for it it's not doing anything like you could just dispatch him now just a pillow over his face and <laughs> well, I mean, then you get to join did, the tournament although i have kind of some misgivings about the dragon tattoo or birthmark in this i kind of like the whole no girls allowed thing <laughs> this film had yeah. there's a bit when kano and um there's a bit when kung lao was like oh you're not allowed in this fight pit you know no sonyas <laughs> <laughs> but what about sonya sonya jessup's <laughs> Just one Sonya allowed. That's a Simpsons reference. <laughs> you know, I'm grasping at straws a little bit because you're looking for sort of character tension and what characters want and things. Um, but, you know, I mean, Raiden is, seems just like a dumb asshole in this film. When he appears at the start of the film, like the, 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 the beginning sequence ends with Raiden appearing, scooping up the baby of scorpion though at time he's called hanzo still again like his mate sub-zero he announces his name as scorpion for literally no fucking reason (laughs) but when you know he appears he him and the baby disappear in a flash of lightning i genuinely got goosebumps and then the film took this turn and the next time we meet raiden He's like moaning about the kind of people he has to work with. The <laughs> actor who plays him is also like really short and, you know, it shouldn't matter. But it's just really weird that he's like this dinky little guy speaking to like literally everyone is taller than him. And then later, after like Kung Lao dies and like every, and the, the baddies get in and, and, and cause a lot of shit to go sideways, Raiden takes them to the void, which Shang Tsung can't follow. And I'm like, why didn't you train in the void? It was like, he's just a fucking idiot in this film. Yeah. And I just really, I, I, I've really missed, like, again, just, I would say all the characters, all the actors who played Shredding up to this point, crucially, 
like white men so I, I don't think that's a terribly great thing but i feel they all at least have this playful nature or there's always this bit at the end where they're like so this was the lesson wasn't it raging and he smiles and goes oh yeah yeah i totally i totally meant that to happen <laughs> yeah like he can be a little bit sort of goofy and foolish but also wise and i think in this film it's just like a lot of misuse of i mean tadanobu asano is is a really fine actor in mm. japanese film i don't think he has really at least even in like the thor films he's in he doesn't really get much to do or does it particularly well and you know i like him in other stuff but when it comes to stuff like this it's just like he just doesn't bring anything to the role i mean he's clearly just there for like a bit of paycheck and name recognition because like back in japan he like really skirts between like really interesting indie stuff and like weird things and just like tries everything and he was a musician and does all kinds of things he's like a really fascinating actor and here it's just like yeah i'll just take my hollywood paycheck and um i'll go back to japan and do some more interesting films i mean again he's probably not helped by the fact that you can't really see his eyes. I like the I, you know the video game fan in me likes how for the first time Raiden's eyes are like perpetually like kind of like lightningy, but it does sort of distract you as well from what he's trying to convey through his eyes. But again, he's not helped with just like the script itself. I mean, it's just kind of a bummer that like both him and Liu Kang and Kung Lao, who are meant to be the guys who are going to train. Of sort of mightiest heroes, as as it were, they're kind of just moaning the whole time about how people don't have like their arcana. Skill is not enough. You need the special power. It's like you need to have. I mean, there's a, a recently been a Mulan remake, and I think a lot of people have been a bit down on that film because in the Disney animation, Mulan. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the actual legend of Mulan here. I'm talking about Disney's Mulan. <laughs> But in the Disney, it supersedes cartoon, the uh, actual history. Oh, absolutely, as in all things. Um, in the Disney animation, Mulan is an amazing general because she's an amazing person. Um, but in the remake, she has this sort of chi, and it's all about harnessing her. She's basically a chosen one, and that's a bit of a bummer. And you know, Mortal Kombat's always been about, at least in the films, I suppose, people being chosen to be part of this tournament. But sort of the net result as an audience member is you're watching people you know to be heroes and you know that they've got what it takes, being repeatedly told, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need to unlock, you need to level up, basically. <laughs> the time has long passed. Our enemies have claimed nine straight victories. One more victory. And Outward will gain control over Earth forever. And Shenzhou will enslave the entire human race. And again, doesn't help that on sort of like a superficial on a on a sort of production level you are watching a film mostly in like an old school 90s cave set, which wouldn't look out of place on Star Trek The Next Generation. I feel I've got nothing against South Australia. 
<laughs> but it does sort of feel like it was shot somewhere because it was cheap. I think I think there's some like impressive scale when they're out and about and like the wide landscapes and things. And I wish there was a bit more of that, but it's it's no replacement for like the beautiful, you know, beaches and islands uh, mm. scape of like Thailand from the first film. And yeah, like MK95 had a whole bunch of hokey cave sets, but, you know, there was more character to them. You know, there were more candles. <laughs> you know, there this were looks more, more like this looks more like a kind of like yoga retreat than anything. And then when Raiden sort of um, uses creates a barrier, I was thinking about all the other monks who live inside there, thinking, "Well, what if somebody wants to go outside?" <laughs> I guess they're all sort of on, in lockdown, aren't they? I suppose. But all the monks also sort of disappear. Like I said, I just felt very unengaged with pretty much all the human characters. I think some people have been highlighting how Cole is boring because he's an audience surrogate, but I thought pretty much all the characters were boring. I, yeah, I I don't I don't have a problem or an issue with Cole or the performance because I think the sort of base level of most of the characters is fairly similar. So it's not like I'm not sort of, don't want to pick on anyone in particular in, in that respect. But I, I do want to highlight Kano. I don't know. I mean, you sounded like you had some misgivings, but that was definitely the thing that kept me going. Definitely the MVP of the film for me. I didn't really enjoy him. Well, I, I, I'll take that back. I actually really enjoyed him at the start, and then he just kept on going. And like this film was very much like, we're mature now. We can say the F word. Like, everyone was swearing the entire time. I mean, apart from, you know, Liu Kang, that would have been great. It was like, oh, fuck you all. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a iconic, iconic line. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it, it just, it did great me. And, you know, there is a point where Sonya Blade says, do you ever shut up? And I really felt that. I mean, we, he was doing that thing where, like, Tony Stark, I guess, you know did it not he didn't do it first but he did that thing where everything he says is reference like we kind i get you know mc hammer i get you know david copperfield i get you see you've seen these films you just kept i sort of i sort of himself. feel like any time yeah because he sort of name checks gandalf and harry potter and i was like oh warner brothers franchises here we go <laughs> didn't think about that you know the tone of the first film was pretty like jokey and corny but the thing is, is the jokes were shared. Liu Kang has a laugh. Sonya has a mm. laugh. It's not just Johnny Cage. And I know, like we said with Mortal Kombat Legends, Scorpion's Revenge, oh, here we go again. It's Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, and Sonya Blade. And I like the fact that we have instead our kind of main trio, at least for the first half-ish of the film, is Sonya Blade, Cole, who's sort of your Liu Kang surrogate. And then you have Kano, which does have a similar energy to Johnny Cage and has, you know, snartiness and spats with Sonya, etc. But it is a different energy. And I think the film needs that energy and that presence because everything else is pretty much po-faced. Whereas in MK95, as I'm going to keep calling it, um, I think the kind of humor was shared and was consistent throughout yeah no i think i think you're onto something there because i guess one thing you and i feared when we started seeing interviews with the writer and um trailers for this film 
it was talking about how we're getting back to what made the games great. We're getting back to the the violence and everything, but they seem to sort of consciously ignore the fact that Mortal Kombat, the games, takes the mickey out of itself the whole time. I mean, it is famous for introducing babalities and friendship moves sort of as a sort of meta-commentary in itself, you know, and... Uh, Kung Lao is like my main in Mortal Kombat 11. And at the end of a round, I can sort of start playing with my train set as a friendship mood. And, you know, I wish I wish we had that. But I think that's I think that's what the Kano character is. Yes. To an extent meant to be. And, and I think some of it does work. And I, I will admit I did sort of chuckle at a few moments, like after dispatching the invisible reptile uh, creature that has come to wipe out Earth's warriors. You know, he's just like sat there just saying, uh, by the way, your beer's shit and you're almost out of it. That is probably my favorite line, I've got to say, because um, that speaks to the character. <laughs> yeah. And he's like deciding to write his own graphic novel and he's like sketching pictures and, and things. It's just like, here's a little bit of weird character stuff, which you know add something while still being quite amusing i think maybe like the best part and that acknowledges the video game origins beyond them just saying flawless victory and kano wins like is when he is testing his might and having a fight Mm -hmm. with lu kang in the training area and lu kang's just doing this leg sweep over and over and he said is that the only move you know mate and then (laughs) immediately Kano tries to like jump anticipating the floor sweep and then gets like knocked out by a different move. And that's a good fighting game joke. It speaks to the button masher foot sweeper. I don't know the controls, but I'm still going to beat a pro in me at least. (laughs) Um, And I think that was like maybe the smartest bit of video game movie adaptation acknowledgement in this film. Yeah. This Kind of another reason why this film was deemed to have a reason to exist, I suppose, is that people wanted to see the violence, which was not in the other Mortal Kombat movies, because otherwise you have like an 18 rated movie. So I was expecting this film to be like a lot more violent than it actually was. Now, don't get me wrong, when anyone in there gets punched, there's like a little splash of blood. And maybe it's just that I'm a psychopath. And maybe it's because whenever you play Mortal Kombat 11, for example, like people are being like eviscerated left, right and center. But like the only I felt properly brutal bit was when Kung Lao cuts a poor lady in half. <laughs> and although like, I guess we look down a bit on the idea of like Snyder cuts and things, I, I did wonder, well, it's, it, I have read in the trivia of this film that they had to cut stuff down to order to achieve an R rating. But if this film is being released, like, or not in cinemas, you just think, why don't you just release the ultra-violent version? All I'm saying, I'll be very surprised if there isn't an unrated version a little bit further down the line. I think the sort of the quality of what is often CG blood is quite good. It's quite crimson and sloshy Mm. and feels you know (laughs) sloshy like it feels like you know satisfied in 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 that respect i think yes that that moment where after some very silly flying and some not quite worked out i think 
in terms of the physicality uh this is where he jumps on her back yeah it's so very... we have this character what's her name um nitara uh, nitara i kept wanting to say nissa navara after the car nitara yeah she appears for like she's again in this sort of team meeting scene where shang Tsung announces oh she's so beautiful and you think, oh, her days are numbered, aren't you? Isn't she? And then, yes, Kung Lao kind of eviscerates her after riding her back for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely like the the moment. And in a way, it was like, that's the kind of thing you want to have the crowd go wild slash disgusted for in the cinema. And, you know, like Jax does pop someone's head like a watermelon. Mm-hmm. And you do get Melina get blasted by Sonya Blade's laser arms or something and you can see her spine through her stomach yeah maybe i'm just a psychopath (laughs) it's definitely more than what came before but this whole like oh we're going for an r rating finally fatalities are back i think does a disservice to the first film which again was a 15 as well in this country but that still does have what you could call fatalities you do have people frozen and exploding you do have scorpion skull being sliced open with neon blood and flames coming out someone being thrown onto spikes um it's got it there this just does it like mortal kombat 11 more detailed eviscera than comes before you mentioned earlier how the sort of the geography of the scene when kung lao jumps on the lady's back on near nitara's back and found that a bit confusing but Sadly, I feel like the martial arts in this film suffers as well. It's it's definitely the Western Western school of martial arts movies where there's like a lot of cuts. They they cut so they can reset the scene. You don't get very long takes. And it's a shame because they made a big deal as well that we've got some real martial arts action people in the cast. But the fights themselves, I suppose maybe are a bit more grounded at times because you've got the actual actors doing, you know, the kicks and punches and and stuff. But I think the fights in general are pretty weak. There's not like Mm. one fight sequence I was particularly interested with. And this film stuffs a lot of fights often concurrently and crisscrossing between them in the edit in, I think, a way which is fairly unsatisfying. I did quite enjoy the final act in in that Raiden transporting fighters to various stages felt very video gamey. I think it's like choosing your stage you're going to fight in. But like Jax was fighting this just big dude with a hammer who I was surprised was, was Reiko. I know Reiko from Mortal Kombat 4, but he's had a very big redesign in the year since <laughs> we don't care about him he's just like a background heavy and like i think luke kang is fighting cabal who is a very annoying character to fight in the game i'll tell you that much i was like oh god this guy <laughs> <laughs> interesting fact so actor who plays kano josh lawson mm-hmm. um is a academy award nominee for best live action short film uh, for a short that he wrote and starred in called The Eleven O'Clock, uh, which right. features as well the voice of Cabal, Damon Harriman, who also has played Charles Manson in both Mindhunter and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And also he voices Tom Kitten in Peter Rabbit 2. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's another film which is delayed due to COVID. 
But it's so obvious that Cabal was voiced by a voice actor because he really, I don't know, it was a bit OTT, but he really sounded like a voice actor, but in an enjoyable way. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, I'm not actually here, so I can just put on a fun voice, <laughs> you know? Mm. I, you're, I mean, again, for all my misgivings, I do feel Kano was like literally the only guy there who was trying to entertain. <laughs> I mean, but that's not really fair on the actors who played uh, Sub-Zero and Scorpion because, you know, they can't really be joking around too much. <laughs> it's like, Scorpion, you're a real pain in my neck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm off. You're trying to get to Raiden's temple, aren't you? That should be fun. You know where that is? What's Raiden's temple? Yeah, I used to run guns through there. The locals wouldn't shut the fuck the up about it. Legend says champions used to train there for Mortal Kombat. Oh, for fuck's sake. No one knows where it is. Well, they do now. Excuse me. Where is it? Uh, you got a pen? You want to write this down? Get fucked. As if I'm going to help you. You kidnapped me, you tied me up, you threw a knife in my fucking leg on purpose. And then that lizard thing took off half of my face. Lucky for me, you can hardly notice it. So yeah, it's a hard pass for me on the helping you thing. Now get out of me fucking way. I, I feel like I'm being quite sort of like heavily down on so much of this mm. film. But I don't think I felt that way through most of it. Because I think the, the film is at its strongest in the first half. And we were talking about the lack of a tournament and how they don't necessarily manage to fill that void with an interesting story. But I think the first part of the film where you have Cole being pursued by Sub-Zero in this kind of Terminator but with ice powers setup is actually the film maybe at its strongest. I think everything up to the point where they actually reach Raiden's temple, I thought was quite good, different, and, you know, not without flaws, but I thought was... I, I could feel the sense of progression to the story. I could feel, you know, the threat from Sub-Zero, and I think there was some pretty nice frosty effects happening at the same time. But I liked that, as much as I don't usually like, oh, here comes a strange mystical character from the games and they've entered the real world um, style of story uh, that happens quite often. Um, I thought that section was different and it was interesting. And I think that's like the part of the film, which is the sort of streamlined version of the film, which I was maybe excited for. Um, when I found out there wasn't a tournament, obviously through the progression mm -hmm. of the film, my interest kind of waned and it introduces too many characters at that point. It gets messy and Shane Sonia's just like weak, weak source version of the Shane Sons that have come before. Yeah, he seems swallowed in his outfit, didn't he? I mean, you describing that sequence of Sub-Zero, I mean, I did find it a bit funny how Sub-Zero's powers seem to be throwing like snow at a car. <laughs> because, like, I guess it looked deadly, all this ice spikes, but then you, they got into a car 
And I'm, I get the impression that if they just locked the doors, Sub Zero would be a bit fucked. You know, <laughs> if they turn, they turn heat on the windows, and you just can't really get at them. But you talking about that makes you really feel like we could have had a much more streamlined film if they just made it about people trying to kill Cole. Because we're told at the start there is a prophecy, and I hate a prophecy in a film, but let's roll with it. The prophecy is the Hanzo bloodline will end up winning the tournament. And then if they just made a progression of Outworld fighters trying to get at Cole, and sometimes Cole's fighting them, sometimes it could be like Liu Kang or just people just helping him out. And then the end of the film is Cole, having survived, now can enter the tournament. You could have pretty much the same story, but without this sort of just boring shit in the middle about discovering your arcana you know yeah the plot is a is a you know an interesting one up until the point they get to raiden's temple and then it's just like oh here's some training oh shang Tsung's here oh no he's gone back home because i put on a force field oh no he's back because the force field's broken Mm -hmm. oh i guess we gotta fight teleport here teleport there teleport to the gym appears in the shed at one point (laughs) well see that's the film that would have been if it was just Cole being pursued by bigger and uglier outworld fighters. And mm. it is a bit of a sloppy waste of Goro. Yeah, it feels like Ready Player One did a better job of Goro <laughs> than like this film. Because he just looks, you know, CGI. I know like I mean I've I've got a soft spot for the um prosthetic or that wasn't a prosthetic, was it? The animatronic um of Goro in the original film. It was but, yeah, a regular just... guy, they just added two arms. Oh yeah, he's um he's pretty sensitive about his appearance to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like a fight for fight scene's sake, you know. And that's when his like magical armor from Black Panther appears. Like again, like is it a fair tournament if Cole fights it wearing like an invincible sweater? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to avoid the term plot armor. <laughs> but, but that's what he's got. That's that's the that's the question with these fighting game things. It's just like, oh, so Kong Lao has a blade hat, but Cole is meant to just like fight with just bare fists. It does do a little. It sort of implies that it's something about your personality that creates your arcana so at the start of the film um i thought it was his sister but it's actually his daughter at the sidelines of the mma fight saying use your defense you can't just attack or i think it's like the coach who says you can't use your defense you can't just attack and ladi da his arcana is like a defensive jumper <laughs> and like at one point Kung Lao was like working on his arcana and then suddenly he learned it was hats. His power is hats. <laughs> and I mean, Jax gets these kind of crappy robot arms, which look like they've been ripped off Johnny Five at the start of his like recovery. So I suppose that these were gifted to him by the monks of the Order of Light. And so they knew that eventually his arcana was going to be like massive metal arms. But this sort of circles back to what I was saying about Kano. Kano gets a laser eye in the one eye, which got torn by Reptile. But if he hadn't got a damaged eye, would he get it coming out of somewhere else? 
I, <laughs> I mean, I would like a, la- a laser dick, I suppose. That'd be quite fun. Um, it's just strange. And also what's strange, when Raiden talks about how he saved Cole's ancestor and took Cole's ancestor to like the one place Sub-Zero wouldn't think to look. You, Raiden, you took the ancestor to like the, your headquarters. Surely he would, that would be a place that he would look. It's, um, I just wonder what happened in the sort of intervening 500 years or so. This child grew up. And then was it like at 18, Raiden was like, all right, I'm not supporting you anymore. Out you go into the world. (laughs) Just like, I'm cutting you off. I'm not having anything to do with you. Unless they were like a monk all this time and just like Mm. living in the Temple of Light. And then eventually it's just like, ah, screw this. I'm going to the States. (laughs) I mean, this this has been like an inherent problem with Raiden, like from the very start. Like he's like a fighter in the game. And then, but like in the story... He's like a god who some he says he can't intervene, but at the same time he can like teleport fighters to various locations to fight. Like I think, yeah, it's just like I can't kill anyone, but I could intervene and teleport them right above a chasm if I wanted to. Yeah, and let and gravity kill them. It's just really nebulous. I just don't know. Like I said, the first, well, as I think what we're what we're finding out is that the film. The first film kept it simple. You can pick a part of that, I'm sure, but at least you understood what was going on. And in this one, I think it's only by the grace of the fact that I know so much about Mortal Kombat that I get a general sense that Shang Tsung's the bad guy. <laughs> he sucks a soul, but I mean, who who hasn't, you know? I think, I think that is like a... As with what this film does with Raiden. I think what they do with Shang Tsung is just, I'm sure it's in more keeping with the current games or even the past games, but it's just not a good performance, no malevolence whatsoever. And just, you know, we love a juicy video game movie villain and we got like weak ass lemon cordial edition. (laughs) I mean, if you think of all the all the great villains, like you show, they usually have a fortress and they have hench people, sort of denoting their power, you know. And like even, I mean, I'm going to highlight Mortal Kombat Annihilation again, which I watched recently. Um, in that Shao Kahn, I mean, the, say what you like about the film, he's got a throne room which looks hella oppressive. There's like fire going up and down the sides of it. But here you got Shang Tsung kind of sat on the chair with a CGI backdrop, which seems like a very uncomfortable and exposed place to be. And rather than having lesions, he seems to have like his best mates just hanging around. And I mean, it does have the air of a team building exercise. And like the only other people we see, he has some, he has some courtiers behind him during that scene you're talking about. And then, like I said, it is literally is a quarry. It looked like a quarry. I researched it. It was a quarry. And I had to check if this film was shot pre-COVID or not. It was. But it really gives, gave me the sense that all the extras in the background were sort of two meters apart from each other. <laughs> and they were just sort of like in robes, just sort of milling around. You couldn't tell what they're doing. It just it looks as epic as like Monty Python's Holy Grail. No, that looks more epic. That's got crowd scenes. I mean, all you really needed for this film was to have somebody with a pair of coconuts like behind Shang Tsung. (laughs) 
and the film would be like so much better. So yeah, you think this this character is is just you know what have you done with my boy? <laughs> what have they done with my Shang Tsung? They've made him ans- answerable to like a like non-existent emperor. The time has come to end this. Take whatever trophies you desire. But their souls are mine. Silence! I have come to claim your world. You're too late, Raiden. It is forbidden to claim victory until the tournament begins. You are correct, Thunder God. The conflict outside of mortal combat is not forbidden. Besides, the other gods are too lazy to stop me. I have come for your souls. You will leave this place at once, sorcerer. So, I mean, I don't want to sound too down on this film because I did like quite a bit of it. And I, I think it's one of the things where it's hard to have like an over my my overall feeling is that I didn't really care for it much, but I think that's more just because like the stuff that's wrong with it really like tilts the balance away from it, whereas certain scenes or certain like character beats or certain moments I did like. It's just sort of my enjoyment is very inconsistent, and it it, it does sort of like tail off towards the end and i think the first half is stronger but like what are the positives what what are the is there anything that like makes you think yes that was good um gosh i'm gonna (laughs) well i mean i i wanted i wanted to say i was trying let's try not be negative let's try and be more positive um you know i mean of course there's more combat and i love these characters they have a very special place in my heart so I do enjoy seeing interpretations of them. I thought like Kung Lao, he, he was he was cool and like being my main in the games. It was nice to see him sort of teleport out of the ground. Um I did think the opening I thought on a technical level, um, the fights between Sub-Zero and Scorpion both at the start and the end were fun, even though they weren't shot particularly well. Um I actually enjoyed the music. I've been listening to the 95 music, the score, quite heavily recently. And then I gave the music for this film a go. And it grew on me a lot. I I like sort of the the synthy vibes of this. And of course, the the techno syndrome theme is threaded throughout. I'm very happy that the series has sort of taken it to its heart and not forgotten about it. I was disappointed with the music because I I think the composer Benjamin Wolfish like has done really good work for some really big movies, but here I just found it really annoying. I think there was just like too many drums <laughs> and too many techno elements. I like the kind of like twinkly, like synth stuff layered on top, but maybe it's just because I was watching it on TV at home rather than in a cinema. But anytime any of the music went like, it just like completely overpowered <laughs> my speakers, all this kind of like pushing the glitchiness. And I think because he did some music for Blade Runner 2049 as well, and that definitely like ramps up for like the kind of uh, <laughs> levels. I don't know <laughs> how else to describe it. Buzzed. This film has a lot of and 
it was all too much. I think this film just needed more Joe Taslim. It's so odd that the poster... I mean, it's not odd, is it? We know why the poster has Sub-Zero and Scorpion in the front, but the film tricks you and it, they're barely in this film. I mean, their their whole all, all their stuff would be about for like 15 minutes, probably 10 even, um, which is a real pity. And I just felt if... Like every time um, Joe Taslim sort of cocked his head as Sub Zero, I got yeah, you know, I was chilled. Ha 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 ha. But I'm not intended. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's a shame when like the next time for the rest of the film we we see him kind of as this lackey. At the start of the film, is he working for Shang Tsung? Then, I mean, he wants to eliminate the bloodline. But at various, I think at points, either at the start or at the end, or both, Sub Zero says for the Lin Kuei, which this is Ninja. I was going to say charity. <laughs> There's Ninja trying. It's like it's Ninja charity. Do when you work. give to charity, give to Lin Kuei. <laughs> um, it's a weird thing to comment on, but at the start, you have Chinese and Japanese speaking. With uh, parentheses saying that you're, they're speaking in Chinese or Japanese. They didn't have to do that. It was kind of nice, but it's also a little bit distracting. I think um, Scorpion says nothing in, in but Japanese apart from shouting, get over here. And like, again, you're like, what? I mean, I get it, but what? <laughs> was that get over here redubbed as well from the trailer? I think when the trailer went out, everyone was like, that's not a good get over here. And then in the film, it sounded slightly different to me. Yeah, no, I believe that's the case. I had no problem with it. I mean, I've heard very, I've had loads of different get over here's. I mean, actually playing playing the video game where he says get over here every like two seconds, it's really just odds. Like I'm I'm here now. What do you want, Scorpion? For fuck's sake! <laughs> but speaking of the subtitles, I think it would have helped. Just like you were saying. When they're speaking Chinese, it said Chinese, Japanese, Japanese. I think any time Shang Tsung spoke, it just said in parentheses underneath, bullshit. <laughs> oh, if only. Well, so um, it sounds like you're a little bit uh, up a, a little bit um, more positive towards it than I. I think really? I just... <laughs> I oh. think I'm being the negative one here. No, I, I oh. think... I, th- I think the problem is, is that like I was positive while watching it, but my positivity uh, grew more negative as the film went on. And then since watching the film, I've just like can't get out of my head just how many missed opportunities yes. this film had. And that's the thing, like this whole like triumphant return of Mortal Kombat and the fact that the logo at the end of the credits has all the blood trickling down like ooh guess what we had blood in this one blood look we had fatalities mm. oh it's an R rating oh look at all the blood we double oh my god Mortal Kombat now we've added blood and it's just like yeah I guess you did that but like what else did you do mate <laughs> you know, I just I, I, I think it just doesn't really do enough to justify its existence and i appreciate and commend like i said that they try to do a different story and they try to do different characters than before but you know what they came up with in the intervening years was just like not enough to really justify its existence and then to execute it in a slightly slapdash way i mean 
you know, don't get me wrong, MK95 wonky as hell, but <laughs> it has a charm to its wonkiness. This film is wonky without the charm. Mm. And I think that's like the stumbling block. It's like, it's almost got too big a budget. It's almost, almost got like too much, you know, production value behind it to like really make its, you know, the moments where it does go off like uh, endearing. I just always want to be a fly on the wall for these sort of films. Like I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking of like, uh revenge not revenge of the sith the last star wars film uh rise of skywalker and like you're in the room and you're like are you sure that's the right choice are you sure and do you really want to do this yeah i'm just thinking about this film it's like okay this is mortal kombat it's back and like okay so we're gonna get to raiden's temple yeah and then we're gonna have like a really long sequence where kung lao and Liu kang are sort of taking the piss out of Kano okay why well I guess it's to to make him so angry that a laser comes out of his eye oh okay I just <laughs> it was just um I just think if you, if you were just watching this film you if you were writing this film or like working on it you'd be like do you think we should have more like more combat in this film or should we just have more monta- more training so yeah more training I think <laughs> I don't know, but again, maybe it looks better on the page and with basically more energy, more actors were a little bit more engaging. Then it'd be better. But you know, I say all this, I sound really down. But as always, you know, like I said at the end of the Ghostbusters 2016 film, I wasn't so I wasn't so much with this film. I would happily see a sequel. Now that they've got all the setup out of the way. So it sounds like this film's done quite well at the box office. So if they do a Mortal Kombat film with a tournament in it this time, I'll be there for it. And, and as we mentioned, Shang Song absolutely says, Death is but a portal. We cut to the bodies of Goro and and Sub Zero, and they sort of disappear in the clouds. So they'll, I guess they'll be back. <laughs> How are they going to possibly get Goro back? I don't know. I mean, they, they only negotiated for a single pick to deal. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. Sounds like we're pretty, sounds like pretty bummed out, but always the optimist. I'm hoping, and I'm sure there'll be more Mortal Kombat films in the future in whatever form. It's, it's too big to fail now, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. And obviously with the final poster tease that back in Cole's gym, we see a poster for Citizen Cage with the tagline fight for your rights starring johnny cage we don't yeah. see the face we just see not the being, body not being cast how many films have been named have the name of the actor in the film when they i mean i can only think of being john malkovich but that's like a, <laughs> that's a different proposition i don't know just like i know i know people like in i heard a story where kevin smith was with bruce willis and like somebody rolled down their car window and shouted die hard at him so i think a lot of people think bruce willis is called die hard (laughs) or the character in the film is called die hard yeah ah why did you keep your why did you change your name holly well because i didn't want to be called mrs die hard (laughs) (laughs) so that is us uh we tested our might 
And until the next, have we got, oh yes, we've got Mortal Kombat Annihilation to look forward to at some point. Look forward which, to as generous. Which, you know, looking behind the curtain a moment, we both have watched with a view for doing an episode, but then like that, our, our plans changed. So we've got that to look forward to again. And um, hey, we like the TV show, the Mortal Kombat Conquest. Though there's also like a Mortal Kombat legacy live action short film series. There's more combat, basically. More combat, more combat to come with a capital K. But in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with games on film? You can find more information about the podcast and video game movies on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. We're on social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter at gamesonfilmpod as well as Instagram. So please do follow for news and information about video game movies that are coming and episodes as well. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And all episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So please do like, rate, review, share and subscribe. And if you do want to get in touch with the podcast at all, then email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. Our website also has links where you can support us. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. So we've kicked off the first of this year's video game movie releases. We'll see if the upcoming movies will be better or worse than Mortal Kombat. But until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.